0: Hello and well done and um, well done for coming to hear me again. I know it's, it's kind of deep, heavy stuff. You could just be lying on a floor soaking but <laughs> going out on the streets or keep learning about prophecy, but you've come here. So thank you for keeping me company. Um, now I, over lunch, had a text from my friend Jill who's with our children at home. Um, and she. Th- I'm gonna read you the whole thing because. I think it's quite funny. Um, Anyway, she says, all good here. I'm sure it's going well there. Had a picture this morning that someone was always looking down, bent over, looking at their reflection in a puddle. This is a distorted view and they feel like they're going to drown. God is asking them to raise their heads and they will see how he sees them. They are beautiful and highly treasured. Would you like me to make dinner for tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Why would I say no to that? <laughs> you might are, you might have something already planned, XXX. So that was my text from Jill. Um, so I'm very blessed. Blessed that she's, I mean, see, God's just provided someone who really supports us spiritually and physically and practically. Um, but I think that picture is right, and she's, she's very good. Jill actually has a history of being um, groomed by um a pastor where she was near where we live, she lived in community and um, was abused by him over years, had to have an abortion and things like that. So she, she's had to walk out of that. And so she understands what it is to be broken, to be silenced, all those things. So, um, you know, she, it, God really uses her to, to speak to people. So this picture about someone looking down at their reflection in a puddle, it's a distorted view, God's saying, raise your heads see that you're beautiful and highly treasured, that's your real identity. Um, and then I get dinner made for tomorrow, so that's great. Um, so, um, so the point is that when we are looking down, when we don't look up, when we don't know our true identity as children of God, we're vulnerable. And we're vulnerable to being controlled by um, our insecurities and our wounds in life. And I just want to set this up by saying, I like to use the metaphor of sales when I think about insecurities. Um, Now, I'm not a sailor, but I do understand the principle of how a sail is used to harness the power of the wind to propel the boat in the right direction for it to reach its destination. And for this process to work, the sails need to be in good condition. Oh, oh, well done. (laughs) The sails need to be in good condition. with no holes, no tears, no fraying around the edges because that sort of damage stops the sail from being as effective as it should be. And for us, our insecurities are like the holes, the tears, the fraying of the sail, preventing us from catching the full power of the wind of the Holy Spirit. And this stops us from being all we can be because much of what God wants to do in us and through us is lost. And as I was saying earlier, really, it takes a lot of discipline and it's hard work to get and then to keep our sails in good condition because they can be damaged even before we're born, from the time of conception, we're vulnerable to our sails being torn. And many of our insecurities and our broken identity will be well in place before we grow past our early years as we deal with what life throws at us. But the good news is it's never too late to confront these things and to overcome them with God's help and to be established in our true identity, to have um, our sails repaired. So with that in mind, we are here um, in this seminar to think about our identity, specifically our identity in Christ. And this is vital because many of us, even after we choose to follow Jesus, we're still confused about our identity and how we're meant to live it out. So just to get you thinking, the easiest way that I know to get to the heart of, what, um, of who we think we are, of our, who we see ourselves, how we see ourselves, what we believe our identity is, is just to ask you to answer the following question for yourself in your head, you don't say it loud. Just say these three words to yourself, who am I? And then answer your question, who am I? Well, for me, when I ask myself that question, who am I? Well, there are different ways I can answer it. Superficially, I can answer that question with, well, I'm Becky Harcourt. I live at 4 in Men's Woodford Green, born on the 17th of April, 1968. I'm American. I have hazel eyes. Brown hair, still just with some help, etc. cetera. Um, that's the sort of information you might find on my driver's license or my passport. That tells you something about who I am. They prove I am who I say I am, actually those things, but they don't really tell you what I'm like as a person. It doesn't tell you who I am on a deeper level. What motivates me? How generous am I? How self-centered am I? How do I react under pressure? How broken or how healthy am I on the inside? That's really who I am. That's what I feel defines me. Those things that um, define me as an individual. And it's those sorts of things I'm talking about. The problem is that it takes time and it takes effort to really get to grips with those truths about ourselves. And many people really only have um, a superficial grasp of them. As Christians though, it's really important that we take the time to answer those questions about ourselves. And it's important we don't shy away from the answers when they aren't what we'd like them to be. Because those answers are the things that are actually the outworking of our identity. And whether we're aware of it or not, who we believe ourselves to be will influence our thoughts and actions, what kind of person we are and how easy or not others find us to be around. Now, see, I'm standing here now, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I meant to say something before I started. And now I'm thinking, oh, I just got it wrong again. Anyway, I'm telling you that. I meant to tell you when I started that please don't worry. We, um, you might be disappointed. You might be relieved. We're not going to spend a whole two hours here. I meant to say... Um, You know, you'll get to go a bit early and think about your identity (laughs) and go join them with soaking down the road. Um, I meant to tell you that at the beginning. And see, I'm standing here, even as I'm speaking, thinking, oh, I meant to do that and I forgot. Messed up again. But anyway, now I've told you. See, I'm so honest and vulnerable with you. Anyway, where I live in Woodford, so that's good news for you, by the way. Where I live in Woodford, it's. It's quite beautiful because the main road and other bits of it are lined with rows of um, horse chestnut trees. They're big, majestic trees. So someone in the past just planted hundreds of them, so they're everywhere. Um, Now, you may know that horse chestnut trees um, have a disease at the moment, and it seems to be across Europe. So most of the year, you can't tell. In fact, now, they look perfect. They've come out, all the leaves are out, all the, you know, the, their beautiful ca- candle flowers have come out, and the high street was lined with them, really pretty. Um, but from about later on this month into July, they will start to um, go brown, the leaves. And they, they start with little brown spots, and then it just spreads until every leaf has died well before the other trees, and all the leaves fall off. Um, and then it's obvious they're diseased because they stand out from the other trees. And um, down on our highway, as I said, th- there's all these horse chestnut trees planted, and then on the other side, there's some different trees for a bit. And one day I was driving down, and I was so struck because you could, the sun was shining, and I could see these beautiful trees still covered with leaves on this side, but down this side, they were, all looked dead. And so I... I went home, got my camera, and took a picture because I thought I've got to take a picture of this and I'm going to do it while I was driving. So I got my camera, took a picture of it um, because you could really see the difference between the trees that were diseased and the trees that were healthy. Um, now, most of the time, as I say, through the year, those horse chestnut trees, look, they blend in, but there is a certain window when you can tell they're not well, they're diseased. In the winter, they blend in. In the spring, they blend in. Early summer, they blend in. But from, as I say, July... Um, they will start to look really ill. Um, and eventually, they will die off because they're not getting enough of the sunshine they need to keep prolonging their life. And the council are coming in slowly, chopping down one here, chopping down one there, as they get more dangerous because um, they're not staying healthy. And I, to me, this was a great picture for helping uh, me understand how important identity is because when we're secure in our God-given identity, we're healthy on the inside, And even when our circumstances are difficult, we can flourish. But when our identity is not rooted in who God says we are, then it will be based solely on our past and what others have said about us. And no matter how great our past, because of the brokenness of the world, the outworking of our identity will be like those horse chestnut trees. It will look healthy some of the time, but in certain seasons, it will show that something's not right on the inside. And even when we have established what our God-given identity is, we still need to grow in it. That's what I was saying earlier. We need to keep going on that journey with the Lord, letting him continue to heal us so we become more whole, um, have that, more of that sense of shalom, um, letting it heal and change us bit by bit. So having said those things, the all-important question obviously is, what should our identity, be as followers of Jesus? Well, there are many wonderful things the Bible says about us. It tells us that we're the light of the world. That's good. It tells us we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. That's who we are. Um, It tells us that in all things we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. That's another great thing. But I think the most fundamental thing we need to know about our identity we can find in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read some verses there, and it says um, there, starting in verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so, we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now that's a lot of love in those verses. Uh, And a lot of, um, John just goes round and round, same things. Um, but specifically verses 15 and 16. He says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him or her, and he or she in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. And that means that we are eternally connected to God. And he loves us because he loves us, because he loves us. So the answer to who am I um, should be I am an unconditionally loved child of God. That should be the very center of who we are. We need to know that truth in the core of our being so that everything else comes out from that. Now, because in English we only have one word for love, um, and for those of us who only speak English, like me, that sentence can pass us by and we miss the power behind it, that I am an unconditionally loved child of God. When John says we know and rely on the love God has for us, he is not using love in the same way that I say I love cookie dough ice cream, and I do. He's not saying it in the same way as, oh, I love my new car, which I do. Um, He's not even using it in the same way that I might say I love my friends or I love my family. Because the word used for love here in the original language was that word um, that's used in that great chapter of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And there we know it tells us about love. Um, It tells us love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not self seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. This love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's the kind of love John is talking about in his passage. And I can't say those things about my love for cookie ice cream, or about my car, or even sometimes um, about my, some of my friends. I might say I love them, but actually do I really? I know I should, but really is that what I mean when I say I love them? Um, but we need to get our head around what God's love actually is. It's all of those things towards us. And God loves me, and that is eternally true, and I need to know that. God loves you, and that is eternally true. But if we don't first believe, well, if I don't first believe and receive that love, and if you don't first believe and then receive that love, it's not going to heal us or change us. I once um, had a dream, um, probably about 15 years ago, and in my dream I was um, in a hospital and I was on a gurney lying, lying down and there were other people around that I knew who were also in the hospital. But for me I was lying there and suddenly I looked down and I saw I had a breastplate on and I thought, oh that's the breastplate of righteousness, oh that's nice, it was nice and shiny, it looked good. Um, And I sort of sat up and I thought, oh, I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Hmm. But then I heard a voice say, you have on the breastplate of righteousness, but you won't let the sword of the spirit in. And then I saw this sort of sword come towards me, bang off my shield, and then I'm on my uh, breastplate, and then I woke up. And um, again, that's interesting. Um, I wonder what that was about. And then I sort of thought about it, thought, okay, oh, I have the breastplate of righteousness on, but I won't let the sword of the spirit in. Uh oh, that doesn't sound good. I think I probably should let the sword. I know we. I know in the picture Paul uses. We we have the sword of the spirit, but it's like God saying you're not letting my spirit in to do what I want it to do. Um, and and I knew I was convicted about that because I've told you my story, um, and so for many years that was true of me. I wouldn't let the sword of the spirit in. God had kept telling me. Receive my love. Receive my love. And I did to the best of my ability. Um, But really, I was only letting in the tiniest trickle. I'd only allow him by his spirit to touch me really on the surface, not to go deep. And for me, that was because letting God's love touch me at a deeper level meant that I had to deal with the pain and the guilt that was such a big part of me. And I knew that if I let God's love in enough, He would touch my broken places, and then I would have to feel the pain that I'd worked so hard to push down and avoid. Um, But God in his love wants to bring us healing and freedom from the pain of our past circumstances, and he can only do it as we allow him to. So that, that was my reason when God kept saying, just receive my love. And I think, oh, I'm really finding this life hard, God. I'm finding being in ministry hard. I'm finding family life. You know, I just, I'm just not really enjoying it. And I, what he would say to me is two things usually. Trust me and receive my love. Okay, God, I, I'm trying to trust you. I do trust you. Receive my love. Okay. What does that actually look like? What does it mean? And I realized that I just wasn't good at it because um, because if, if I really let him go deep, I, I knew um, I would usually let God go so deep and then I'd say, okay, that's enough. And I'd stop and disengage, start thinking about what I was going to make for dinner or move on to something else because it would begin to touch the painful places that I really didn't want to go to. Um, so that was my reason. But over time, God is so generous and so gracious and he doesn't overwhelm us in fact when I was beginning to think I've got to do something I've got I can't go on like this I need um, I need some help and I asked someone to pray with me and she gave me this picture she said um, before we begin I just see this picture of it's like a glass bowl and inside is this flower and it's covered and it's filled with water with this flower inside and God's just saying he's going to protect you like he's protecting that flower, and he's not gonna overwhelm you. So don't worry, it's gonna be okay. Um, and that really spoke to me, because g- growing up, my mother had exactly that. She had a glass bowl with a flower inside, filled with water, You know, and you could see the flower there. My friend, I grew up in America, she didn't know me when I was there, so she had no way of knowing that. So God is really kind, and we'll speak to you about how he won't overwhelm you. and that, is my story definitely. He's been very gracious bit by bit as um, a bit of me has been healed and I'm able to let him go a bit deeper. But he's always encouraging, receive my love, receive my love. Now that's my story. For other people there will be other reasons why they find it hard to receive God's love. It could be that you struggle to believe that God, um, the love of God's a gift and not something you have to work for or prove you're good enough for, that's very common. because life teaches us that love and, con- love and acceptance are conditional on our behavior. And whether we like it or not, all the research points to the truth that our greatest need as human beings is acceptance, and our greatest fear is rejection. Our brains are simply hardwired for connection with others. And if we don't experience that connection from others, we will suffer. Um, So most of us, we're not even aware of it, but we live by this belief that if we work hard enough, we'll get the approval we crave. If we're good enough, we will be accepted. But to complicate that issue, different people in our lives will have different criteria for what's good enough. Leading us to living, let's say, one way at home and another way at work. One way at... um School for our young people another way at church. Um, One way at the club, one way, you know, just everywhere we go, people will have different criteria for what it is to be good enough to be accepted by them. Um, For some, it will be how you look. For some, it will be how much money do you make? What kind of car do you drive? What schools did you go to um, to be accepted by them? And that can leave us forever striving to reach an ideal that was never ours to reach in the first place. However, when we can get our heads around the fact that God's love is a gift freely given, we we can never earn it. We'll never be good enough for it. He just gives it to us. We don't have to look a certain way. We don't have to be a certain way. He just gives us his love. That takes the pressure off. And then we simply have to receive that love and live in it. Now famously, um, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, described having his heart strangely warmed as he heard teaching on God's grace from the book of Romans. And I'm going to quote um, my husband, Paul, who's here on the front row, um, from his book, Growing in Circles. And this is what he said about Wesley. He said, "When Wesley, what Wesley encountered was God's love for him personally the gift of grace rather than reward for merit. He only discovered this after a decade of strict holiness, piety, and toil, all service undertaken as duty rather than joy. It was when he came to the end of his own resources, as it has been for so many of us since, that he was able to understand and receive grace. Reflecting on this later, Wesley described the change as exchanging the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. His ministry was never the same because his relationship with the father was no longer that of a servant. Knowing God's affirmation always leads to a deeper revelation of our true identity as his sons and daughters. Now, my sister, my surviving sister, who's six years older than me, she has three boys, and um, probably about 12 years ago, she just felt like she and her husband wanted to adopt, and their youngest was probably about 10 uh, at the time. And, but they, she really had this, she just had this feeling that she wanted to adopt. So they went through the whole process of all of that. They thought first it would be a baby, um, and then, then they thought it would be like a child. But actually, what they ended up with was a 14 year old. And it was an interesting way they did it in the state of Missouri where I come from. How it was done was that um, Kathy, who's my niece's name, um, was given, she'd been taken away from her birth family because it wasn't safe and she'd lived in a number of foster homes until the age of when she was adopted by my sister. But the process was that they gave Kathy, as a teenager, a book of prospective families. And so she was able to look through the different families and um, say, oh, well, you know, I kind of like the look of them, I'll meet them. And and the same side, on my sister's side, they were given a book of teenagers, you know, to look through. And so it started, they sort of chose each other to meet. And what they did first was they had dinner. And then another time, they spent a day together. And then they had a weekend together. And then they had six months together. And then they decided, yes, you will be my forever family. She decided, and the family's like, you will be our forever daughter. And so she was adopted. And um, she took to it amazingly. she um, I mean, there was no question. We live in England, they live in America, but as soon as she met me, it was Aunt Becky and Uncle Paul. It wasn't like I don't really belong. She was like, she is part of this family now. (laughs) She completely bought into it. Um, My sister has three boys. All their names start with K, Kevin, Kyle, and Corey, all with a K. Um, Her name is Kathy, which she spelled with a C, but as soon as she became one of them, she changed it to a K. So she became, she really was so happy to be part of a family. My parents were immediately grandma and grandpa, they were mom and dad, and there's never been a question that she's not fully part of our family. Um, so I thought I just think that as Paul was talking about adoption last night, it is a lovely picture of what it should be like for us with God. When we become his children, there should be no question, we are his children, he is our dad. And he's chosen us and we've chosen him and um, it's just, that's how it should be. We should know that we are his children and that everything that belongs to him is now, belongs to us. And another way to think of it is to think about, um, you know, Kate Middleton, who married Prince William. That's right, isn't it? Yes. Um, again, I'm American. Okay. So, um, but it's, it's helpful as well to think about her because she went from one um, way of life had a ceremony, said some special words, made some vows, and suddenly a very different way of life. She went from being a normal, whatever, subject, commoner, to being royalty. And um, there's no question, she has the title, that's who she is now, because she had this, um, this marriage to a prince, and she is now part of that family, and everyone sees her that way. And even when you don't get it right, still thinking of the royal family. When we were in Germany once, I heard a German um, telling this story. I thought, you never hear that in England, it's interesting. But anyway, about Prince Harry in his more naughty days. Um, and he was saying to his young people, he's saying, you know, because he was again trying to get them to get that you cannot earn God's love. You can't mess up too much to not have God's love. And he was saying, you know, look at Prince Harry, he messes up. He's really embarrassed, the royal family. I'm sure he's done things they'd rather he hadn't and rather people didn't know about, but he's never stopped being Prince Harry just because he messed up. He is still royalty, he is still a prince. So again, it's thinking about those three things for us. We are adopted, we're chosen, we are part of the family. We become royalty when we, like Kate Middleton, did, when we become part of that family. And even when we mess up, we are still part of the family. We're still royalty. So um, coming back to 1 John, I think looking at 16 to 19 verses, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Again, with the love. Especially um, thinking about verse 18, there is no fear in love. Now I know uh, that many of us will live with many different kinds of fears. So we obviously have a long way to go in this. We're not made perfect um, in love, because we still have fears. But um, for me, I'm very claustrophobic. So I don't like getting into a lift. I will, because I know in my head it's okay. Um, If it stops for a minute, I can feel the panic rise. But no, okay. Um, I don't like parking garages, because the ceilings are low. I don't like going into coffee shops. If I go somewhere, I have to sit where I can see a window. It's just my instinct, and I don't like it, say, being places with low ceilings and places where I can't see out the window. I assumed everyone was like that. I assumed everyone felt exactly the same, that they had to sit. They didn't like low-ceiling things, but I realized that's not true. Some people don't care, (laughs) but that's me Um, because I'm claustrophobic. I need to feel space around me. Now, there will be a route to that fear. There is a route to that fear, um, which I am still working on with God's help, But I have to say, it's not that kind of fear that John's talking about in this passage. The kind of fear John's talking about um, is to do with punishments, specifically God's punishment on the day of judgment. What he's saying is, if we understood how loved we truly are, we wouldn't fear any retribution, any punishment, any, any judgment from God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus took our punishment onto himself because he loved us so much. Because of that, we have nothing to fear. We are made right with God, our creator, and we have access to his love and power. And that is amazing. Um, And it deserves, you know, really time to think and meditate on that. Um, Because it's something we can say in words in a few few sentences, but the meaning of it is so deep. And remember what John says in verse 17. He says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Now, Jesus knew his identity. Jesus listened to his father, and he made time to spend with him. Um, Luke tells us in chapter 5 that Jesus often withdrew to lonely or solitary places to pray. So... If we want to grow in our God-given identity of love, we need to do the same. We need to take time on our own to talk and to listen to our Heavenly Father. Take time to receive his love. Take time to hear what he's saying, what he wants to show us, because he will speak to us, um, and he will speak to us in different ways. So um, it can be really dangerous to compare yourself to someone else because we're all different. But you can look at someone else and think, oh, yeah, well, they really hear from God so easily. I don't. So there's something wrong with me or um, God just doesn't love me enough to speak to me. And you just can't compare yourself because God will be speaking to you, but maybe in a very different way than he speaks to someone else. Um, and maybe there's a way he's doing and he wants to show you more ways. Um, and sometimes we um, limit ourselves. I used to say, oh, no, I don't see pictures. Um, I'm not very visual. I just hear words. Um, but I started asking God, could you, I want to see. Oh, if there's more you want to show me, then I want, to, I want to be open to that. So I had to ask and then I had to start paying attention. <laughs> and then I said, actually, God does show me things. And so he does speak, we just need to tune in. It's like we all have our own frequency, tune in to how he speaks to us and what he's showing us because we're all unique. Now, going back to thinking about Jesus and his, um, in this world we're like Jesus. Well, Jesus, when he, when he was on the earth, he spent a lot of time with other people. He did spend time on his own, listening to the Heavenly Father, and he needed to do that. But he also spent a lot of time with people, especially his disciples. With his disciples, they did life together, and they learned how to work together on the things of God's kingdom. Now, Jesus, of course, was perfect, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, so he was able to get along with everyone, calling out their potential. The others, though, like us, had to grow in learning to love each other. Um, I love to think about Peter and John. We heard a bit about Peter. Peter's the one who said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Um, So Peter, we know, was an activist. He was quick to think, quick to act. Um, And I would always hear about Peter, and I'd think, oh, I'm a bit of a failure as a Christian, because I'm really not like that. I am not quick to speak. I'm not quick to act. If I can, I'll stay silent, and I'll stay hidden. So therefore, I really haven't got much to offer. But someone once said to me, well, look at, look at John. John and Peter were very different. And um, John was much um, more reflective. And if you look, and look at some passages where it talks about them running to the tomb, um, when Mary comes and says the body's gone and they run to the tomb together, you can see some interesting things about them. John gets there first, but he doesn't go in, he waits. And then Peter, who's the slow John says three times, by the way, that he got there first. He really wanted us to know. Um, and then, but Peter gets there and he goes straight in. Peter's not bothered. He doesn't wait. But as soon as Peter goes in, then John goes, oh, all right, I'll go in too, and follows him in. But it's John who first gets the revelation. Peter did the action. John got the revelation. And we see that again a couple of chapters later when um, they're out fishing, because I don't know what else to do, because... They don't really know where Jesus is. And um, John, Peter says, well, I'm going to go fishing. And they'll go, okay, we'll go with you. Because Peter's the activist type, and the rest just sort of follow along. Um, and then Pete, Jesus calls from the beach, any f- hey, friends, any fish? Um, and it's John who says, it's the Lord. And then Peter jumps in the water. So I just think it's really interesting how different they were. Um, Peter's so active. John so reflective. But they needed each other. They needed each other. So they had to grow in learning to how to do life together. And it couldn't have always been easy for them to spend so much time together and agree on the best way to do things. We know they had little discussions amongst themselves, who's the greatest and what's gonna happen next. But they had, a, they had to find a way to live and to work together that wasn't based in competition. A way that didn't allow any room for carrying grudges or any room for bitterness to grow. And it's the same for us as we work together as the body of Christ. We have to grow in areas like forgiveness and areas like patience. We have to learn to appreciate each other's strengths and bear with each other's weaknesses. That's part of living out this identity of being loved ourselves. Because as we grow in knowing um, how much God loves us, we become more secure, we're more secure with other people, we're more willing to allow them to be themselves. That's just the way it works. And as John said at the beginning of our reading, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And then of course, um, Jesus, in this world we're like Jesus, so he spent time with his father, but he spent time with other people. And then of course Jesus encountered difficulty, lots of it, and so do we. For Jesus, he was dismissed by his family as crazy, He was called demon-possessed by the religious leaders. He was rejected by his own people. His motives were continually questioned. He worked incredibly hard for people who didn't appreciate him. He was betrayed by a close friend. He was falsely accused. He was tortured. And he was horribly executed like a common criminal. So I think it's fair to say that Jesus knew what it was like have a bad day he knew what it was like to suffer he didn't hold himself off at a distance from the difficulties of life here on earth and this is our God this is our God who came into the mess of this world in order to rescue us from it and to redeem it so as I was saying earlier in my other session we must remember that God is never the author of our pain and difficulties The fact is, again, we have an enemy who's always at work. He's always at work to steal, to kill, and destroy the good things of God in the world. But the good news, we know, is that through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus, our rescuer, the devil, our enemy, has been eternally defeated. And because of that, as we turn to Jesus, we can claim our identity as unconditionally loved children of God and we can access the resources of heaven, as Jesus did. When we turn to Christ, the Holy Spirit makes a home in our hearts, and he works to help us live in the love of God. And as we grow in our ability to do that, the broken, the selfish, the sinful areas of our lives are gradually healed and transformed. Again, Jesus gave everything to rescue us from the darkness of life. So even when it doesn't feel that way, it is true. And one day when every tear is wiped away and there's no more death or sadness, it will all make sense to us. Until then, we have to keep making the choice to turn to God, opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to fill us with his love so we can grow in our true identity, our true identity of being a beloved daughter, a beloved son, unconditionally loved, by um, the King of Kings. So that's, um, I'm not saying that's an easy process, and I'm not saying it's a comfortable one. In my experience, it's been neither. What I am saying is that there's no better identity than to know at the core of your being that you are unconditionally loved by the God of the universe, that he is with you in all seasons of life good times and bad, when you've messed up or you've been the victim of someone else who's messed up, when everything makes sense, or when your heart and your head are full of confusion, God is with you, God loves you, not because you're good enough, not because you've earned it, but just because you are you, and that is your identity. So that's um, what I wanted to say about that. That is your identity. Our identity is an unconditionally loved child of God and from that security that should ripple out to affect how we live, how we act, um, how we treat others. So we'll just spend a bit of time um, praying into that. Some of you are like, yeah, got it, know that, no problem. Um, And some of you are like, yeah, I I hear the words, but I don't really believe it deep in the core of my being. It might be like me, you like believe it at a level. You do believe it, but you don't know how to let that truth really shape you at the core of your being. Um, So we'll just again spend some time just letting the spirit show us who we are. And letting him reshape um, where we've been shaped, this is just the image I'm getting now, where we've been shaped by the world um, into a shape that isn't his original plan for us. Um, he wants to, um, to come and reshape us. It's never too late, we're never too set, um, that he can't come and just put his thumbprint on us again and just mold us the way he wants us to be um, into all that we can be um, to reach our potential in him. So I'll just ask you to stand because you've been sitting listening to me for quite a while. And just the first thing is just to say to... um, Just that question, who am I? And maybe just to practice saying, and maybe repeat after me. um, Let me say it first, and then I'll say repeat after me. I am an unconditionally loved child of God. Just say it to yourself first, and then we'll practice saying it out loud. So you can repeat after me. I am an unconditionally loved child of God. I am an unconditionally loved child of God. That's pretty good, but I think you can do better (laughs) with a bit more conviction. (laughs) I am an unconditionally loved child of God. And we'll try it um, in some other words. God is always good. good. And I am always loved. loved. We'll do that one again. God is always good. good. And I am always loved. 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 One more time. God God is always good. And I am always loved. Now, I I think some of you will have found that easy, and I know that some of you will have found that challenging. So Lord, I pray that um, wherever we are in that spectrum, from finding those words easy to, to eat, to believe, from whether it comes naturally to us or it's a struggle, um, but especially, Lord, for that end where it's a struggle, that you would just come now with your love and your mercy and show us the reality of that and help us to, to keep um, saying those words. It's like taking medicine. You can't tell immediately the effect it's having, but it is having an effect. To speak and to believe, to speak out loud, hear your voice say, God is always good, and I am always loved. It can help change um, our heads and our hearts to be more in line with the truth. And for some, it's, it's a long thing. I can um, remember a story that Rob Parsons tells in one of his books about a, a letter he got from a lady um, in her... Well, it was a letter, and he just put the letter, and the letter said, um, I was a disappointment to my father. He wanted a boy, and I was a girl. He was never able to tell me he loved me. He never said he was proud of me. All my life, I've struggled with relationships and, and knowing that um, I'm good enough, and then finished by saying, I'm, I'm in my 80s, and it's just so sad that someone could live their life feeling a disappointment, feeling they aren't good enough, because that's a lie. And for some, that's the human reality they've lived with, but God says, that's not how I see you, I delight in you. You're never a disappointment. And I just have a picture of someone. I can see in my picture that it's like someone's got a light bulb where their heart is, and it's, it's like your light is shining, But you've, and God can see that. But all you see about yourself is that you're dressed in rags. <coughs> but he's saying, that's not how I see you. I don't see you in that way. I see, I see, I see my light. I see my love um, in you. So, Lord, I pray you'd come and help each one to grow in the revelation of how you see them. So I thank you, Lord, um, for that. We'll just give another minute for um, the Lord to be speaking and revealing. And if you aren't able to hear or see or feel anything, that's okay, because God is here, his spirit is here, and he is responding. And sometimes it's like um, very dry ground, just as an image. Um, When the rain starts, it just slides off at first. It takes time for it to, to soak in and to start to transform. But you have to start somewhere. So thank you, thank you, Lord, that you do come like a gentle rain with your love. I pray each one here would hear you speak to them individually about their uniqueness. And I pray that anyone who um, struggles with comparison, Just pray, Lord, um, that you would help them to recognize where they're damaging themselves with that. Yeah, I just feel with um, comparison, every time you compare yourself, it's like you're cutting into yourself and also self-judgment. is also like you're cutting in, hurting yourself. And God's saying, wants to take that knife out of your hands and say, celebrate with me who you are. You know it. Okay, so what we think we'd like to do is um, we're going to take a little break in a minute. And um, it's like a comfort break if you need a comfort break. Um, some of you might like to go, just go off, find a quiet corner and st- keep thinking about these things. But we want to come back. When we come back, um, anybody who wants to come back and play, we're going, to have, uh, we're going to do a little exercise, which is kind of prophetic exercise, of um, speaking those truths over each other. So is that okay? Fantastic. So we're going to take a five-minute comfort break and then um, we'll just do a little exercise together.